0: to Season 2, Episode 4 of Viking Story. My name is Alan Laycock-Fuchs, and you are listening to a podcast that is dedicated to a novel that I've written, which is set in the Viking Age. And this accompanying podcast explores various Viking themes, and today we're actually going to look at the mysterious discovery of Otzi the Iceman. So some of you who might know something already about Otzi might already be crying foul a little bit here, because Otzi does admittedly predate both the Vikings and the Viking Age. So Why am I doing an episode on on Otzi then? Well, my argument is that Otzi represents the ancestors of the Vikings. So we know that before agriculture set in, basically there were a lot of hunter-gatherer communities, and this is largely how humans expanded across Europe and across Scandinavia. And Otzi lived at a time where agriculture had actually already been established for a few generations already, but he represents a person who lived at the time more or less when people were starting to settle down and cities were starting to be established. And I would say Otzi represents the kind of person who would also have been living in Scandinavia at the time. And an analysis of Otzi reveals a lot about what life would have been like back then. So to know who you are, you need to know who where you came from. And I do believe that Otzi represents, yeah, the, the ancestry of, of the Vikings and, and where they came from, at least to a degree. So let's talk... In more detail about Otzi, first of all, who was he, and what was his real name, actually? That, of course, we don't know. He was not found with a name tag of any sort, but he's commonly referred to as Otzi or Otzi the Iceman because he was found in the Otztal Alps, so his name is based on that. He was actually found on the border between Austria and Italy, almost exactly on the border, I think, and he was found by a couple from Nuremberg who were hiking in the area at the time, so they were they were going, going across the Alps, and they saw this body that was partially exposed, and it's important to quickly explain how this body was positioned because that's important for for later in the story when we talk about how this uh, body has managed to survive. Because normally when you've got glacial action, you've got the glaciers coming, going, receding. They move obviously very slowly, but uh, they basically crush anything that's in their, in their way. And actually things that they they go over and pick up, will be sort of, in a sense, recycled throughout the glacier and spit out on the other side. And someone like Ozi should not have survived such a process. But he actually died in a crevice in the mountains, and the glaciers more or less just traveled above him, and that kept him permanently frozen, but also safe from being crushed or, or grinded. So he was preserved, really, under very, very lucky circumstances. But anyways, this couple stumble across him they find this this body that at this time is is uh, i guess the glaciers are, are receding and it's exposing more of the body from the waist up he's basically exposed and they see him as clearly a person who has died and probably rightfully so they immediately think that this must be another hiker somebody that's probably died recently within the last few days or weeks perhaps so they uh they run to the authorities they they inform mountain rescue team uh, the police are involved I think there was bad weather at the time when they were trying to extract this body from from its uh, position but they did manage to yeah extract the body and take it to a place where they could look at it in more detail and analyze it but even the mountain rescue team the police they Nobody suspected that this body was as old as it was. There was some early speculation that perhaps this is a body from a soldier that died possibly 100 years ago or so during the war because other bodies have been found like that in the Alps. But despite the fact that there were some red flags, some clues that this body might be a little bit older than 100 years even, based on some of the other artifacts that were found in the area, nobody suspected that this was, you know thousands of years old. So unfortunately, the body was kind of carelessly (laughs) extracted and and taken away for further observation. Nothing was handled with any degree of care. And if archaeologists had been involved from the beginning, of course, there would have been a, a, a slower process of documenting everything, all of these surrounding objects. I mean, hopefully nothing was really lost, but I'm sure, yeah, the body was damaged, things were destroyed. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But there were archaeologists who were brought on board fairly early on in the process of trying to determine what's happened here, and it was very quickly determined by the archaeologists that we're dealing with someone here that's probably about 5,000 years old. So definitely uh, a very, very old specimen here. Nobody that's that's uh, passed away recently. So what can I tell you about Otzi and, and his discovery? I'll just give you some brief information on him before I get into further detail. But basically, he was... About 45 years old at the time of his death, which doesn't seem that old to us now. But back then, the lifespan of a a normal person was much less than it is today. And if you lived, you know, to your late 40s, into your 50s, you were considered quite old back then. And Otzi was about 50 kilograms or about 110 pounds uh, at the time of his death, about five foot three. So smaller than a typical person of today as well. But again, that's that was more normal back then. And he was found with a number of interesting objects as well. So he was wearing a cloak made of woven grass, and he had a lot of leather clothes as well. So he had a leather coat, he had a leather belt, leather leggings or pants, he had a leather loincloth, leather shoes, he also had a bearskin cap with a leather strap. So these were sort of the clothes and things that he was wearing at the time. He also had a pouch with him with a number of useful tools in it, including a, a fungus that you could digest and it would help you with parasites, and that's something I'll I'll talk a little bit more detail about later. He had a copper axe with him, and at this time the copper ore sources in the Alps would have been depleted, so actually this would have been quite a valuable tool. It would have actually been a status symbol as well. He had a knife on him, he had a number of arrows and a quiver, two of the arrows were broken, and the other twelve seemed to be unfinished. But yeah, these were some of the things that he had on him and Fortunately, these things were, some of them were scattered around the body, but they were still preserved and were able to be recovered. Obviously, a lot of detailed analysis has gone on with Otzi, which makes him quite special and gives us that insight into a time period that we otherwise wouldn't have such detailed insight into. So, one of the first things that was analyzed was the tooth enamel of his teeth, because this preserves quite well and it can also show where somebody was raised. And, and uh, it was determined that. Otzi was probably born and and raised in and around a place called Felterns today, uh, sort of near the Alps, but a lot of his life um, he lived a little bit further north, but basically he lived in and around the Alps. You could even do some DNA analysis of his ancestry, and a lot of it came from further south, a little bit maybe even east. But yeah, uh, that gives you an idea of sort of where he was from personally. At the beginning, it looked like he didn't really have anything in his stomach or that he didn't even really have a stomach. But actually, it was determined a little bit later on that his stomach had just shifted upwards, just sort of the area where his lungs were. But yeah, actually, his, his stomach was completely full. He would had some recent meals. Probably when he died, he was actually feeling quite full. The food hadn't really been digested or anything in his stomach yet, Uh, but it gave us a good opportunity to really analyze what he had eaten and, and how. So we actually know for, in fact, that his last meal was less than two hours before he died, and it consisted of ibex meat, some grains, some other fatty meat as well, possibly bacon. And even a few hours before that, he'd had another meal where he also had some meat, probably some goat or antelope, some deer, some roots, fruit, bread. So these were the kinds of things that he was eating. And uh, yeah, as I said, he had a full stomach when he died. So he was well fed in any case. He also had a number of grains and seeds and berries on him that presumably he could eat as a, as a snack if he needed to later on. The food also showed that based on the types of food that he died in, in probably the spring, possibly early summer, and also that some of the food had actually been stored over the winter because it wouldn't have been in season until previous autumn. So That would have been, yeah, there would have been an overwinter stock that he would have been, yeah, taking from as well. His hair was also analyzed, and there were copper particles and arsenic found in his hair. This has led to some speculation that perhaps he was some sort of smelter, copper smelter or something along that lines. Alternatively, um, some of his bones, his, his pelvis, his femur, his tibia, these sort of indicate that he did a lot of walking in his lifetime. So it's also been speculated that perhaps he was a shepherd obviously it's hard to say, but interesting nonetheless. As I alluded to earlier on, he actually had intestinal worms. So he was often sick. Uh, He was also lactose intolerant. So we get this from from the DNA analysis. And this is an interesting point because today, a lot of the time we think of people who are lactose intolerant as the, uh, the abnormal ones. So it's normal to be able to drink milk. And if you can't, there's something wrong with you. But actually, if you go far enough back in history, and actually to Otzi's time, uh, people were lactose intolerant, uh, and that was the norm. And once you started, you know, producing dairy and with agriculture and everything, people started to drink more milk, and eventually people became accustomed to it. But actually, that's not the norm. The norm is that we're not really supposed to drink milk, or at least um, our bodies initially reject it. So yeah, Otzi was a time period from a time period where. I think they did find that he, he did consume some dairy, but yeah, he was definitely lactose intolerant based on the DNA analysis. And some of these other scans of his body and things showed the, the worms and his fingernails showed that he was sick quite often. I think the, um, the report I read was he was sick three times for a period of probably a week or two at a time just in the last six months before he died. So probably this was characteristic of, of the time period. I, I can imagine, you know, people were quite sick quite often. There was there was a lot of d- disease to, to contend with. We didn't have modern medicine that we have today. You also had to contend with other things like fighting and warfare and so on. So yeah, it was a tough life for sure. And this is also part of the reason that people typically didn't live uh to be as old as, as Otsi. Um, interestingly, Otsi also had a number of tattoos on his body, but they they did they don't seem to be decorative tattoos like what we would think of tattoos primarily as today. Basically, his tattoos were lines, parallel lines, two or three usually beside each other on his body, various parts all over his body, actually. They were created with tiny incisions into his skin, and then it seems like ash from a fireplace or hearth was rubbed into these um, to create sort of the dark line patterns. But interestingly, these tattoos tend to appear in places where typically today you would have acupuncture or something so this could have been an early form of of acupuncture and it's believed and i tend to sort of agree with this actually is that probably the cutting of of tendons and things at least loosely cutting into the skin would have actually relieved tension for for otzi for at least a period of time i mean it it hurts to be cut but the process actually would have relieved him from some pain too and you find these tattoos on his body in very strategic places so and they don't seem to be decorative really so I, i do think it was probably an early form of acupuncture, actually. We know that Otzi had a lot of pains and troubles, and some of these would have helped him with his intestinal worms as well. As you can imagine, we know quite a, quite a bit about Otzi with all of the the analysis that has gone on. But let's talk a little bit more about his death now. So originally, it was kind of believed that Otzi was... He probably just succumbed to, to, to the elements. Perhaps he got caught in a, a bad winter storm. This is actually a problem... In archaeology, and it's it's something that I've dealt with myself as well. So some of you might know I, I have done archaeology. Mainly, I've worked with sort of native sites or, or sites in, in North America, and the the trap that I fall into, that I find myself falling into, and sometimes other archaeologists as well, is that. And we shouldn't do this, but sometimes we, or at least I, sometimes think that people in the past were not as smart or as educated as we are today. Which, in one hand, is kind of true, but it really discredits it and doesn't uh, does them a disservice. Does the um, yeah people of history a disservice because actually they were quite smart. What I have found, for example, in some native sites, so a lot of natives would make bows and arrows using chert, and you can you could craft a little little arrowhead from it. Um, sometimes they would use the same material to create like a spear as well. So you can usually tell the difference between a spear. Uh, spearhead and an arrowhead because one's rather large, one's kind of small. But sometimes I would find ones that are sort of medium sized It's it's too big to be an arrowhead, but it's too small to be a spearhead. So my general interpretation used to be, well, I guess you know, I guess the natives effed up here. They made it, you know, they made it too too big to be an arrow and uh, too small to be a spear. So they probably just, just discarded that one and, and made a new one or, or whatever, right? But no, you should never just assume that um, the people from from these past cultures just made a mistake. And what really opened my eyes when I saw Otzi, because his a lot of material was, was more preserved. Basically, you can go to Bolzano in Italy, and that's where Otzi is right now. And there's a museum, obviously, dedicated to him. And so many of his tools and, and artifacts that were associated with him are so well preserved and displayed in this museum. And one of the things that really blew my mind is that typically wood doesn't survive, you know, 5,000 years, or or even less usually. Um, So when we find arrowheads, obviously there was previously an arrow as well, but the only thing that survives is sort of the chert arrowhead. In Otzi's case, I found some of these medium-sized arrowheads that were too big to be an arrowhead, but too small to be a spearhead, but they were still attached to the wood handle, and then you could clearly see that this was actually a knife, And then I was like, oh my God, I think the natives also had knives because that would explain these medium-sized chert arrowheads or spearheads that I'd found previously. They were probably just knives. So yeah, we should never take for granted that we're smarter than people back thousands of years ago, because actually they were equally smart. I would say they were just living in different circumstances and had different access to different technology than we have today, but they are a lot smarter than we, we probably give them credit for so it was believed to go back to otzi's death that he probably just succumbed to weather conditions of the time but again that's giving that's that's doing otzi a disservice because you have to imagine that this guy had lived his whole life in the alps he's probably aware of how weather works and he's probably accustomed to traveling through the alps he um you know probably he's not going to die just of bad weather so that was a little bit naive i think of of the researchers and and the scientists at the time and as it turns out yes of course about 10 years after the body was discovered through some x-rays it was actually discovered that he has a small arrowhead in his shoulder so then it's like aha okay (laughs) perhaps he didn't just die of natural causes the, the arrowhead was, was lodged deep into his body, and actually you could see the little in, incision or whatever, the slice um, through his skin where the arrowhead entered the body. You could even even see the little hole through his coat as well. So it all made sense then, that actually we're, we're looking at a murder here. Otzi he was definitely shot and murdered. So more analysis was then done on the body, so what else can we learn here? So apart from the arrowhead, it was discovered that he'd received a, a heavy blow to his head as well. There was some trauma there. He also had a number of bruises and cuts, especially especially on his hands and wrists. And in fact, one cut sort of at the base of his thumb was so deep that it cut right to the bone. And uh, this this was shortly or even at the time of his death because it did not heal before he died. So this would have been, you know, in all likelihood part of the attack that, that killed him. There's been other DNA Analysis done on not just Otzi, but also on the objects that that he was found with, and actually blood from four other people have been found on the artifacts and the objects that that Otzi had with him. So there was some blood found on his knife. There was some blood found on his coat, and there were two different blood samples from two different people found on one of the arrowheads. So from this, it has been interpreted that he probably killed two people with the same arrow and probably just killed one and then took the arrow out of the body, killed another one or at least injured another one, probably probably did the same thing with a knife. And then it's believed that he probably had a com- comrade who was injured and wounded, and he probably carried this person on his back. And that's where the blood kind of came from on his back. And obviously, if this body was discarded somewhere, not in a crevice like Otsi was, um, this body, the remains would not have survived. So yeah, it's all a little bit of speculation, but to me, it probably makes a lot of sense. What's interesting as well is that the way... Otsi was found. So if you've ever, you can Google image Otsi if you want, but basically his, his arm is, is tucked in an unnatural position across his body. And what's believed to have happened is that he died and then somebody kind of rolled him over and took the arrow out of his back because I guess these things were fairly valuable. Obviously the arrow had stuck into his body, but yeah, they retrieved the arrow in any case. So that's why Otsi died in the position that he did. So it seems like whoever attacked him they won. They probably. Ah, it's hard to say. I mean, maybe they were killed by some other comrades by Otzi. But what's interesting to me is that the copper axe, which, as I said before, would have been a very valuable tool, a high status symbol. This was left behind. So this was not. This was not a, a robbery or of any sort. It seems like the sole purpose was to kill Otzi and, and maybe his his comrades as well. Which is interesting because, you know, even if you weren't intending to rob him, just. The fact that that copper axe is there, why wouldn't you take it anyways? This has led me, at least, to kind of speculate, and I, and there have been some other scholars that have thought in this kind of direction as well. Perhaps Otzi was actually killed by people from his own community. Maybe they just wanted to kill him, but if they brought the axe back, people would know, hey, that's Otsi's axe, like, what have you done? Um, so I think they just wanted to kill him and not, you know, not, 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 not have any evidence or anything to suggest that it was them that had done it. It's hard to say how many individuals were involved in this. As I said, there's this, this DNA of, of at least four other people, plus Otzi himself, that's five. Could have been more people as well, of course. So it's hard to say where, whether we're talking about you know a full-on war here or if this is just kind of a skirmish between two relatively small pockets of people. But in any case, it's, it's believed that Otzi died probably from the arrowhead to his shoulder. This would have been shot at him from quite a distance as well. So it shows that the marksmanship at this time was quite good, and it's even believed that with modern medicine, that probably Otzi wouldn't have been saved even today if he'd been shot like that in the shoulder. So he probably bled out. the The cuts and things on his hands are interesting because this shows, you know, hand to hand combat, possibly from a fight that happened earlier in the day maybe and then maybe he went up into the Alps and got shot and that was what kind of finished him off or maybe the blow to the head actually finished him off at the very end there or maybe he had some hand-to-hand fighting after he'd been shot with the arrow but the shooting of the arrow probably happened that was that was probably happened first in, in terms of what was the downfall of Otzi I think he probably got shot and after that he he was on borrowed time um, but it's possible that he might have done some hand-to-hand combat as well before he finally succumbed. But that's, that's all we really know at the moment. It's going to be hard to learn much more, but as it is, that's already an incredible amount of information about somebody who died over 5,000 years ago. So it's quite an interesting story. And as I say, if, you're, if you want to learn more about Otzi, there are books that have been written about him. This is somebody that's been in the sort of academic consciousness for 30 years now or so. So yeah, there's a lot of material written about him. If you're ever in Italy, especially the Alps region, definitely encourage you to go to Bolzano and and see Otzi for yourself, because as I said, I had this experience seeing some of his tools and things that just completely changed the way I thought about history and about people from from the past. But uh, I think this is where I'm going to leave it for today. It's been hopefully an informative episode. I want to thank you all for listening, of course. And if you'd like to get in touch, if you're a fan, if you're a publisher, if you're an agent, you can always reach me at vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com. That's vikingstoryfaq I'd love to hear from you. And in the next episode, I'm actually going to do a read-through of part of my novel, so this will be the first chance for you guys to, to actually hear something from my novel itself. So look forward to that, and until then, cue Thor's thunder.